just hit it straight down the middle. Hello and welcome to this week's Urgent Bite, brought to you by the Royal New Zealand College of Urgent Care. My name is Guy Melrose and I've been thinking recently about differential diagnoses, the value of seeing a patient in person and how far someone can hit a golf ball. Let me explain. I've played golf for most of my life. While I do not get to play as much these days, As a child, the school holidays felt like a never-ending round of golf. As I grew through my teen years, I have fond memories of trying to hit the ball further and further, but now I'm much more content with hitting it straight and keeping myself out of the woods. This is, as much as anything, to avoid injuring myself, but it is one of the many benefits of golf, as a game, that you can play it from cradle to grave. I once met a 91-year-old who still played golf every week, although they had had to make two concessions. They'd reduced to nine holes around, and they'd taken to using a buggy. There is a popular quote, golf is a good walk spoiled, which is at least true in so much as it is a good walk, providing great cardiovascular exercise for any aged golfer, but I would argue that it is only spoiled if you have played particularly poorly. In addition to the walking, golf keeps joints moving, and through the use of the handicap system, it enables everyone to be competitive. This keeps people involved in tournaments and social activities throughout their life, which must be a good thing. It can be played on your own, or as part of a team, And despite there being an apparent loftiness ascribed to golf, it is certainly here in New Zealand a very accessible game. My nearest course has a $10 green fee for 18 holes on a Monday, and second-hand clubs are not dear. So golf gets a big thumbs up from me. So when I can, I like to watch some of the best golfers in the world play the game in part for inspiration, and in the modern world of online streaming, it's also possible to watch behind-the-scenes videos from top golfers to see how they practice and to get tips on how to get better. One such golfer who's very active in this area is Bryson DeChambeau, the 2020 US Open champion and a prodigious hitter of the golf ball. So much so that he was in the top eight at last year's World Long Drive Championships. And so it was, through watching Bryson, that I learned of the world of professional long driving. While I knew there were people who specialised in trick shots and long hitting, I did not really appreciate how this had formed into a tour, with competitions and a world championship. But hearing Bryson say that he was competing in this year's World Long Drive competition held last weekend, and that the coverage was free on YouTube, I thought I'd check it out. Unlike a round of golf, which can take up to five hours, the World Long Drive competitions are much faster. Competitors compete in groups of four, and they've got six balls to hit on a range. The length is only counted if they stay within a tight corridor, and they get points for where they finish in that group, which goes into a bigger table. 
So the numbers are quickly whittled down until the last two are standing and the winner takes the prize. This year, Bryson came second, with both finalists hitting well in excess of 400 yards, which is a staggering distance. It's mightily impressive to see the force these players put through the ball and the extremes of rotation their back, shoulders, hips and knees go through. But what has all this got to do with taking history and examining a patient? Well, during one of the heats, the cameras cut away from the action and the commentator said that a competitor had collapsed. What followed was a period of time watching flags fluttering in the breeze while the commentators described the scenes. From replays, they said that the player had clutched his side, had looked dizzy, tried to bend over, looked unsteady, was holding his shoulder and then ended up flat on his back. A fellow competitor was a paramedic, and so there was prompt attention, and play resumed after the player had been taken to hospital in an ambulance. Now, as this unfolded, I tried to list the differentials in my head as to what might have caused this collapse. Seeing how hard these guys hit the ball made me consider a simple muscle injury, perhaps in his mid-thorax or lower cervical region. Severe pain and spasm might have caused him to feel dizzy. But this then made me consider possibly something like a vertebral artery dissection as a cause. I considered that he may have swung so hard as to have caused a rib fracture or even a spontaneous pneumothorax. I even pondered if he'd dislocated a shoulder. I did consider torsion of the testi, although the commentators did not describe that he was holding that particular region, more his shoulder and back. And my mind went to a patient I once saw who'd managed to rupture the cortex of his kidney while doing a type of upper body wrestling, a bit like arm wrestling but with your whole torso. Could he have swung so hard as to have done this? And despite his young age and athleticism, I did place a cardiac event somewhere at the bottom of my differential list. Well, we had to wait until the next day when the player updated the world via Instagram to find out the diagnosis. And it had not been on my differential list. Apparently, he had a kidney infection and had also passed a kidney stone. The force of him swinging had dislodged a renal calculus and scans and tests had also shown that he had some underlying infection within his kidney. Now this got me thinking. When considering the differentials for this particular case, I was heavily influenced by these huge rotational forces I'd been watching these players go through all weekend. I therefore considered traumatic causes for the pain and the collapse. Infection and renal stones were not on my list. And this made me consider two urgent care learning points from this outcome. Firstly, it is important that we never let ourselves become fixated early on with a diagnosis based on how an initial bit of information pertaining to how the illness or injury occurred. While of course a trapped finger in a car door, finger now being sore, is an obvious case where you can take one plus two and make three, 
we must make sure that we maintain a high enough level of suspicion at the outset so as to not become fixated too early on a problem. It might be that the initial thoughts from the presenting story are correct, but as this example shows, it may be way off the mark, or it may be that there are two competing conditions taking up the same space, and we run the risk of missing the second through focusing on the first. So in urgent care, it is wise for us to keep a broad differential list from the outset and to satisfy ourselves that we have eliminated each one and not got stuck on one that looks good early on. And secondly, it made me realise how important an examination is in augmenting and building on a history. Combined then with a judicious use of investigations, we're then able to make our diagnosis, hopefully with a reasonable degree of certainty. I can remember many occasions in which the story is unfolding in front of me and I'm thinking one thing, but upon placing hands on the patient, I then come to a different conclusion. In this case, to be told that someone collapsed holding their shoulder and side during a long drive competition, musculoskeletal or trauma was at the top of my list. But examination and investigations were the key discriminator here. So for me, this is yet more reason why we need to be cautious, both in failing to do a complete examination of our patient when they're in your presence, as well as being particularly cautious about making a diagnosis over the phone or computer on a patient for whom you're unable to examine. Yes, the history might be 80% of the answer, but we must not ignore the 20%, especially in urgent care presentations. So despite spending a few hours watching a group of men smack balls 430 yards in Nevada, I still found myself considering some urgent care CPD this weekend, as well as developing a little niche interest within the wonderful game that is golf. Now we'll be back again next week with another podcast. I look forward to seeing you all then, but for now, thanks for listening.